You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer politics podcast. We're coming to you from our various locations outside of the newsroom during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Don Vaughn here with Danielle Battaglia, Will Doran, and Colin Campbell. And the last time you heard from us, we were talking about coronavirus, but it was another lifetime ago. I think it was like a thousand years ago. So um, we're recording this on Monday, Tuesday. All the days run together now. Um, but we've got some new data that came out today that could kind of change um, how things are looking as far as what the stay-at-home orders are for the state and everything else. Danielle, you took a look at some of that, right? Yeah, I listened to um, the DHHS call this afternoon at noon, and they basically said if we stay under a um, stay-at-home order past April 29th, when it, the governor's basically lifts, we will remain at a 250,000 people in North Carolina with coronavirus. And right now we're at 3,000. So we got a long way to go even to get to that number. If we do not stay under a stay-at-home order and go back to regular life, we're looking at 750,000 people with COVID-19. So I think they made no suggestions in this call, but you can see where this is headed pretty quickly. So what do you what do you guys think? Um, you know, the purpose of putting that out there today was and we've got a week of daily briefings from DHHS and um, the governor comes to usually one or two of those, usually when there's some sort of big news to tell us. Yeah, I think we could see some more extensions of the timeline from the governor on this. Um, you know, we've got a stay-at-home order here through the end of the month uh, with schools set to go back on May 15th unless they delay that. Uh, you look at other states like Virginia that's got their stay-at-home through early June and has completely canceled schools. Um, so it seems like this data could tee up that. I will throw in the caveat that they did say if we keep social distancing measures or something similarly effective. So there could be changes in exactly what stay-at-home or social distancing means maybe you still ban large gatherings, but you tell people they can go to certain types of businesses if they wear a mask. Um, there could be a number of different sorts of guidance that could be in play going into May based on this data. Um, but I think the data makes it kind of clear that uh, completely going back to business as usual on May 1st is probably unlikely. I mean, how would you mandate having a mask before going somewhere though? Because then if you tried to go into a store without a mask, who at the store would tell you, no, put on a mask and they've got to get within six feet of you to tell you that. And some of this stuff has come up when I um, was talking about the sort of this patchwork as um, multiple people have described it of the stay at home orders versus local orders. And this is affecting businesses a lot because, you know, a lot of um, just different um, companies and, and trucking companies go to all these different places and you cross a county line, you cross a state line, and you don't know what you're supposed to do when you pull in to unload at Walmart or whatever else. And that's causing some confusion because in North Carolina, Governor Cooper said, listen to whatever is the most strict, which means there are curfews here in multiple counties and cities. But in New Jersey, the statewide order trumps everything else. So um, how do you all think that kind of, I guess, impacts what the, just how everyone is, like, I mean, Fayetteville has a curfew, but Raleigh doesn't, you know, and we have a lot of 
marketplaces here. Yeah, I think it's so, you know, we'll be interested to see what the pressure is. The Retail Merchants Association is the one that's asking Cooper to maybe do more like New Jersey mm -hmm. and have a statewide order that can be somewhat predictable. The challenge in that is um, you're going to see tourism counties that have done the strict orders kind of upset about that because they don't, like Dare County, Graham County in the mountains have these orders that say, you know, if you're not a resident of this county, uh, you can't come in the county line. Um, and that's something that's specific to places that have a large tourist population and want to their healthcare infrastructure from being taxed by that. So you could go statewide. Uh, there could be a push towards that. Um, but I think there would be some pushback with local governance. So basically saying, you know, we think we've got very specific circumstances here and we want to keep our own tailor-made solution for this area. But certainly the confusion about what is an essential business seems like that could be clarified across the state. You know, I don't know that a bookstore is any more essential in one county than another county. So should probably be either essential or not. Yeah, the Jersey governor, um, in the order itself, it kind of lays out the argument for it. And I've got that in, in a fact check that um, from a couple of days ago, um, where just because of this confusion, because of the limited resources, like, are you going to have main police or first responders? Should they be like at every road that crosses city and county line telling people, no, you can't come here? You know, um, I mean, it's an, kind of an equivalent of show us your papers, really. And there, there are no papers you have to show. Um, but there's one county um, that the Merchants Association head was telling me about. And um, that is like, here, you can, you know, get these permits. But Cooper said, you don't need these permits. And there's some confusion on, you know, what do you, what do you actually have to do? So if Cooper does come out with a new directive or extension, um, you know, I could see that there being something, maybe some more clarity on that. So people know what they're doing because I mean, does, I mean, how many people other than us and probably a lot of the people who are listening to this have been to a city council meeting? You know, I like them, <laughs> y'all like them, but how many people, you know, are paying attention to what their mayor and council members or their county manager is telling them about what their rules are, you know? Yeah, yeah I think a lot of people who are watching national news are seeing what Trump is saying. They're not necessarily watching a press conference with the Wake County Commission chair outlining a local stay-at-home order. So the likelihood that they know what's in that specific to it's different from the state is probably slim and none unless a police officer stops them and explains them to it. And two, even, you know, you have, you know, certain individual counties whose rules might be stricter in some instances than the states. So like, you know, those county rules override the states, but then even within that county, you have, you know, different cities where the local cops might enforce it or might not enforce it or might enforce it differently. You know, I mean, here in Wake County, we have, what, I think a dozen different cities within Wake County and, you know, different priorities for the cops in every city in terms of, you know, how much their supervisors are telling them, okay, like, go around to local parks and bust up gatherings or, you know, hey, like, don't bother people because, you know, we don't want to, you know, we're trying to be socially distant. So, you know, we want you to stay away from people, you know, if you if you can help it at all. Well, and Durham, um, so have... sure went to a party and asked them and asked to break it up. But, you know, Durham is larger than a lot of places, but it's also quite a bit smaller, you know, than a lot of places. So, I mean, I think this could turn into local versus state government. It could also turn into feds versus state and local government. 
um, if you have two different messages, you know, like the, the governor of Virginia just put on a mask during his press conference, but um, Trump said he won't wear one, you know, so um, I think people are getting different messages at basically every level of government, which is too bad, or maybe better. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on who you think should have, uh, have the loudest voice in terms of government role. Well, I always wonder how much the legislature, I mean, they've been pretty absent to this whole stay-at-home order process because it is an executive function, but you see um, Senate Leader Phil Berger sending out a press release almost every day calling for random testing and saying that that random testing results should be what governs whether we go stricter with social distancing or whether we ease stuff up and let businesses reopen. So we could be at some point headed towards a situation where the Republicans and legislature want to maybe ease up on some of this stuff and Cooper feels like for public health reasons we need to keep it going and if you have a, a battle back and forth there I don't really know who has the trump card to make the decision I mean executive orders can be in some cases overruled by the legislature if they act so how that works out who knows if there's a future discord in our politics to come as things become a little less cut and dry about what's the right thing to do they're all getting surprising, like getting along surprisingly well. I mean, that really weirdly well. So, I mean, it's nice that, um, you know, our, the government's two main parties can actually get together on something when it's um, this level of importance. I'm sure people would think the budget is also important and they can't agree on that, but that's the whole point of multiple party systems that you have different priorities of what you want to pay for, where pandemic is just like a completely had a left field kind of thing to, to get together on. The other thing too is that they, um, and Danielle and I wrote about this um, a few days ago, uh, local governments, you know, they're pretty good with the technology and meetings and everything and, and keeping it open to the public, but our state government, as um, listeners probably know, you can't actually watch what they're doing unless um, a reporter or, the, you know, the TV stations are recording it and showing you. Um, so they do not have modern technology, and there's not a way to, to watch what they're doing. And obviously, they can't practice social distancing, at least on the House floor in any manner. So they've been getting all these update calls from DHHS and sometimes others um, that the public can't call into. Um, and I've asked, I asked the, it's called by DHHS um, or the legislator, it's called a legislator call, and the public and the press cannot hear what these state lawmakers, all 170 of them, plus the congressional delegation, are hearing from our state agencies. Now, it might be the exact same stuff that they hear in the press conferences, but we don't know because we're not hearing it. And that does seem to be sort of an open meeting situation. Of, you know, Generally, if the legislature meets and all 170 of them should be there or have the option to be there, that's considered an open meeting. Um, by any stretch of the law's at least intent, but with a call that's hosted by an agency like DHHS that's not necessarily subject to the same rules, it's sort of unclear how that applies, but certainly it skates at least, it skirts around at least the intent of open meetings law that if your elected officials are all getting together talking about something important and relevant to their jobs as lawmakers that we in the press and the public should be able to hear it, but in this case. Well, and I think we also don't even know who's representing us right now because, you know, if you're in, um, pick some tiny town somewhere in North Carolina, who knows if they're on those meetings or they're staying off because there's no one who can actually watch and say, hey, my representative's not there, my representative. Right, what if a whole bunch of them just aren't even listening at all and are checked out of it? Or what if 
you know, one particular area, or one particular party are the ones that are asking all the questions. And like, again, we, we have no idea. Um, and so far they don't, they don't want to let us in. I think we've covered all our meetings and the latest things. What, um, what else should people be thinking about, like looking ahead? I think if the legislature comes back on the 28th still, which it looks like they will, how they'll um, factor that without infecting everybody, considering at least one person um, that works in the cafeteria there, which was kept open, even though you weren't supposed to do that. Um, Colin or Danielle, didn't one of you? Danielle wrote it, and then I uh, had actually been the one to see that it was open and, and tweeted about it when I was down there for a legislative meeting. I will note I did not eat in the cafeteria. I decided to be responsible and get takeout on my way home from work that day. Um, but we What'd you get? Is <laughs> it what you eat? I got a, a, a burger from a fast food drive-through to avoid uh, having contact with cafeteria workers or other people in a dine-in establishment. But I did. Well, you could have gotten takeout at the cafeteria. Yeah, and I think they're offering that now, right? but I was a little thrown off by seeing people dining in. It you know, had been a week or so since all dine-in areas were closed. And uh, when I walked by the chief of police for the legislature, along with the legislative service officer who had made the decision to keep dining open under a claim about separation of powers that the governor's order somehow didn't apply to him. Um, they were the ones that I saw dining in along with a, a couple other folks in there. So um, it was certainly a, a bit of a surprise and a shock uh, to see that, but I'm, I shouldn't be surprised that, you know, there's separation of powers claims in anything with the governor and the legislature. I checked Friday and so far nobody else has gotten COVID-19 from the cafeteria directly. I don't know if that still is the same as of today. It's been three days, but. If they've even been tested, right? Um, yeah, actually, I don't know that. I know no one has. So as our. As of Friday. I was saying, as our listeners have figured out, we're obviously not all in the same room doing this and doing this uh, via Zoom call, like you know, half of America that have um, desk jobs or jobs where you use a desk at some point. Um, so our interruptions are a little um, more frequent I think, than others because it's hard to tell exactly when, when somebody's talking or not. So, uh, and Danielle's dog is barking and so far my dog is, is quiet, but um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have background noise on the future of these as we go. So any um, any last thoughts from everybody? I guess we don't need a headliner or do you guys want to do a headliner? I think coronavirus is going to be the headliner from now until who knows when. I, I think your point on earlier about, you know, the, the legislature facing the, you know, questions about how do we, you know, deal with just the logistics of bringing the legislature back in April to vote on these things. Um, you know, and just kind of time is running out on the clock for people to figure out the logistics on that. From the other side, you've, I mean, we've all been hearing so many complaints from people saying, you know, why the heck aren't they in now? You know, Congress came back to do this whole stimulus package. Where is the state legislature? Um, and so, you know, you, it's just kind of, I think, worth, you know, pointing out that you did it on both sides. You know, you, you have the angle of why aren't they here now? You also have the angle of how are they going to protect themselves when they do come back, you know, because weeks from now it could be you know still in the middle of of this outbreak yeah and i think that's the watch for is that you know they're they're trying to come up with a system to vote in which they're not all particularly on the house side all in the room together you know well within six feet of each other so house speaker tim moore when i asked about it told me uh that they're thinking they may uh bring up a bill and then have the vote 
period open for an hour or more so people can essentially just walk into the chambers hit their button walk out do it just a few people at a time uh but that poses challenges for debates because i think you know there may be some things that they do uh in terms of coronavirus relief that won't be controversial at all they can all agree that you know we're extending the tax deadline or we're making these changes to the unemployment system um but there's a lot of requests for legislative uh financial bailouts for the restaurant industry, for various other groups that are heavily affected um, by all of these crises. Local governments, I think, want some financial help because their sales tax and revenues are going to be down. Um, and all of that has to be weighed against the fact that the state's revenues are expected to be down sharply. Um, and so there's probably going to be some reluctance among some lawmakers to uh, dip too far into the rainy day fund uh, initially to do some kind of you know, industry specific bailout, whatever it may be. Um, so all of that sort of sets the stage for some potentially contentious debates and how you do that without everybody in the room at once. I'm not really sure. So it will be something to watch. For. Well, they have three weeks to figure it out. And there's liability to now because we know that coronavirus is in that building. And if you think about all the surfaces you touch, and that's not just the 170 lawmakers, it's everybody, including us and everyone that works there and everyone that comes through and you're putting a lot more people at risk than even just the lawmakers. And Senator Jeff Jackson said that, um, you know, he's in his um, late 30s. He doesn't have any underlying medical conditions. He is um, low risk for it, you know, taking a turn. He said that's a risk we have to take. But again, he's not in that category. And maybe some of the other lawmakers and others who are in that building that are, um, it's a bigger risk for them. And if you think about what could happen as a result of, of going to do this, but you know, we still have to have a functioning government. <laughs> we need some things to pass. So they've got, you know, T minus three weeks to get this business together. And I guess we'll find out soon enough how they're gonna pull it off, right? Yeah, and the good thing about the wait is, you know, by three weeks from now, we'll have a little bit better sense of what are some of the shortcomings in the federal stimulus package, what you know, complaints do people have about like, oh, well, like it has this, you know, blind spot for this particular industry or this particular type of problem that then, you know, the state might be able to address, uh, you know, given the benefit of some hindsight on, you know, what Congress did or didn't do. And they're only just getting started on these um, committee meetings that are done all by teleconference that the public can hear and, you know, we can hear um, with audio and they're really just starting to sort this out, um, which is what they would need to do if they were all back in the building exposing, you know, themselves to the um, virus anyway. Um, when you were in there, did you see gloves or masks or anything on anyone? I know it was still early into this. But. Yeah, so this was a week or so ago before the CDC recommended masks for everybody, but uh, I didn't really see anybody with masks or gloves. Um, I mean, everyone was certainly trying to keep their distance in any conversations they had um, walking around the building. The chairs were spaced out in the committee rooms for the people that did have to be in there. So they were doing some of that, um, but you know, that building can tend to get crowded once you have lobbyists who are there trying to you know, pigeonhole lawmakers and bring up the topics that are important to them. Um, so once you bring in the usual amount of people that have to be there during session, it gets really hard to keep your distance. Um, so that's going to be, I think, a challenge beyond the actual lawmakers on the floor in the session, but just in the hallways and meeting rooms and, and everywhere else in that building that's a public space. Um, it's certainly, uh, if anything's a gathering of 50 or more people and certainly 10 or more, whatever the current uh, restriction is, it's 
definitely meets that target. Yep. All right. So thank you for listening to our virtual Zoom recorded audio. Hopefully it'll sound decent. Uh, first Domecast under all of these restrictions. Uh, so I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia, Colin Campbell, and Will Doran. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.